This is Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, a look at current events from today's headlines and how they affect you, what you believe shapes your worldview and your ultimate destiny. Learn more now at educateforlife.com. Now, in studio, here is your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the My guest today is Steve Austin. And uh, I hope you're excited for a great show. It's not uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, but he's just as formidable. He is uh, 66 years old, just last year, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and uh, his name is Dr. Steve Austin. He is a geologist. Uh, Steve, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited for this interview. Um, Just a little bit so I can brag on uh, Dr. Steve Austin. He's a field research geologist. He has a PhD in geology, and he's all about understanding sedimentary processes uh, in light of the Bible and uh, he's been all over the world, and uh, you said you spent a year, what is it, in the Grand Canyon? Below the rim of Grand Canyon, one year of my life. That's inc- um, incredible. Yeah, can you imagine that? And you've dove uh, at Spirit Lake uh, right next to Mount St. Helens. You dove down because you wanted to check out the dirt underneath the water in Spirit Lake. Yeah, that that really was a, a, a fun event, uh, <laughs> especially with an active volcano right next to you. Yeah, that's amazing. And so... Um, what other things uh, have you done? Where, what other places throughout the world, Steve, have you been? Uh, I climbed Kilimanjaro, uh, and I understand, you know, big volcanoes, and that's a big volcano in Africa, nineteen thousand feet high. I've been uh, on, uh, I've landed by bush plane on big glaciers in Alaska, the uh, largest uh, nonpolar uh, ice field, uh, Bagley Ice Field. I've landed on that, done geologic studies. I've been down, uh, I've gone camping where Darwin camped. The exact campsites where Darwin went, I went. Is this on like the Galapagos Islands and everything? Uh, yeah, down and down in South America. And Argentina is especially interesting. Uh, Camp Darwin, I call it. So I, uh, I did a documentary on where Darwin went wrong at Darwin's campsite in Argentina. Uh, let's see, uh, I've done Asia a lot in... Uh, uh, coastal swamps, uh, crocodiles. You, the the thing you remember is uh, not the research necessarily. It's the hazards. Yeah, where you al- where you almost pits. died and everything. Yeah, blizzards, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. You're like you're kind of like Indiana Jones. Okay, well, yeah. You know, some <laughs> people not, call me that. You're hunt you're hunting for treasure, but it's not like gold treasure. It's all the evidence that supports the the truth of the Bible. Is that right? That's right. That's fantastic. And, and I'm, that's what that's what powers me. I I love to check out the historic evidence for the accuracy of the Bible. And the field of geology I'm in is called sediment. Okay, and I study sediment, and that's what I do for a living. Wow, that's great. Now, um, are you married? Do you have kids? Or yep, I'm yeah. married to a surgeon. Uh, Kelly is my wife, and she's at University of Pittsburgh. Children's Hospital, and she's the director of the Critical Care Fellowship and a pediatric surgeon. Wow. And uh, so my she's saving, son, saving kids' lives. and Yeah, and unbelievable. That's incredible. Uh, she does uh, uh, um, level one traumas, 
Uh, she does congenital um, surgeries, the very, uh, very uh, small babies, that type of thing. Wow. Now, um, so what are you currently doing? I know your website, creationadventures.com. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that, how they can actually get involved with you and kind of follow you around? My uh, my devotion is to research, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in in uh, documenting the the earth the way it is and in relationship to the the high view of scripture I have, but uh, I uh, people do tag along sometimes on my adventures, and so uh, do they my, have to sign a waiver? Like oh, waiver yeah. of liability. <laughs> yes, that's great. Okay. Well, anyway, I I'm running a raft trip through Grand Canyon in uh, May of uh, 2017. So next year, uh, next late spring next year, I'm running a, a seven day raft trip through the Grand Canyon. And they can be a part of that if they want. And that that's open, yeah. And creationadventures.com is hosting that. Okay, and and are are they going to see evidence for the truth of the biblical account? Yes, we, we look for evidence of creation in the flood right in the Grand Canyon. And there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. I'm studying fossil layers of the Grand Canyon. That, that intrigues me. And there's evidence the water was over the continent, okay, and an ocean was over the continent right there in the Grand Canyon. How was Grand Canyon eroded by a uh, catastrophic process? It didn't take millions of years to form Grand Canyon. Now, uh, when you say that there's evidence that water was actually covering the top of the Grand Canyon, what evidence? Can you give us some of those uh, evidences? The, the shell uh, creatures, the sea creatures, are, are found fossilized at the rim of Grand Canyon. Sponges, coral, uh, sea lilies, that type of thing. Now, from an evolutionary perspective, those should actually be at the bottom of the Grand Canyon because they're they're lower in the evolutionary process. Is that correct? Well, it's it's kind of unusual to find um, marine fossils at, on tops of high mountains. Mm. Okay, and all high mountains in the world have sea creatures in them, so it looks like the ocean was over everything, and that's consistent with a biblical idea of a global flood. Yeah. Now, I've heard an evolutionist might say, uh, evolutionary geologist would say, well, the continents were underwater at one time, but they rose up over time, and that's why you have dead things on the tops of, like, Mount Everest and other places. Uh, what might you say to somebody like that? Well, uh, you can tell stories, but it seems obvious that the, <laughs> the, the ocean was flooding the whole continent. Yeah. Yes. And so the, so the appearance of what we see is consistent with biblical yeah. ideas. The explanatory power of the biblical flood uh, takes care of all the different uh, geology that we see all over the world. I, I'm very comfortable with uh, thinking that way. Yeah, I am too. I, I feel like it's just very, very obvious. I know even um, I was watching not too long ago, uh, Nova's not, not typically my favorite thing to watch, but they actually did a thing on huge floods, and they were talking about how uh, up in uh, the Coolies, up in, I believe it is, Washington, were carved out by a gigantic flood. And uh, have you ever looked at that kind of a thing? Yes. Uh, Lake Missoula in Montana drained uh, over eastern Washington, and it took a week for 500 cubic miles of water to drain through uh, the uh, uh, Columbia River Gorge. And it cut the coolies, uh, Grand Coulee, Moses Coulee, in a lot of the different areas. And, and uh, it did it in in very short time. So powerful floods of water can do incredible things. And that's the, the lesson we've learned from uh, this type of thinking. And, of course, it's been suppressed, but it needs to be brought out, and we need to uh, understand it. Suppressed because of Darwinism, 
and uh, that type of thing. But we need to talk about this catastrophic way of thinking about how the earth formed. Absolutely. And um, I find it interesting that even secularists are starting to come to the conclusion that, hey, it looks like there were gigantic floods all over the world in different places that that caused these. It wasn't the slow moving action of rivers over, you know, millions or billions of years. It was actually um, it, it was a whole lot of water in a short amount of time, not a little bit of water over a long period of time. Yeah. And that uh, that's generally what we uh, conclude by looking at the earth. Yeah. Yeah, and the Colorado River did not cut Grand Canyon over 70 million years. Geologists have pretty much junked that idea. Now we're going to really uh, kind of outlandish, somewhat catastrophic ideas to explain how uh, water breached through the plateau land in northern Arizona. Okay, so what what do you um, so the Colorado River? Why did they throw that idea away? Why why did they get rid of that idea? That um, the 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 delta out to the west of uh, Grand Canyon, the sediments that that should be uh, uh, the evidence of tens of millions of years of erosion of Grand Canyon, they're not sitting there. Okay, so... so Instead, we see a recent delta. And what uh, the recent delta in the Salton's Trough Basin is what... uh, is uh, the evidence of the of the history of the Colorado River, and the history is not very long. Okay, so so what you're saying here is when that Grand Canyon washed out, it, it all that mud that the Grand Canyon is huge. How wide is the Grand Canyon? It's four to eighteen miles wide, two hundred and fifty miles long. About nine hundred cubic miles of rock has been excavated to make the uh, the canyon. That's an incredible amount, and that dirt's got to go somewhere. Yes, and so. So when we get back, my guest today is Steve Austin, Dr. Steve Austin, and uh, he is a geologist. He's been all over the world uh, on the top of Mount Whitney, uh, just got back from climbing an active uh, volcano uh, not last year. It's active, right, Kilimanjaro? And and um, we're going to continue to talk about the geology of the world, and what is it evidence for? Is it evidence for the truth of biblical history, as, as described in Genesis when it talks about a worldwide flood, or... Uh, is it the whole millions of years idea? Is geology millions of years, or is it a short, quick amount of time? Stay with us. We're going to be right back. We're on K-Praise, 12, 10 a.m. here in San Diego, every Saturday, 2 to 3 p.m. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at expressfixcoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. 
Add historic American beauty to your home today with genuine Amish furniture. It's built in the USA from solid cherry wood with a bourbon finish. Or choose alternative woods and finishes to accent your home's decor. You'll find it all at Tucker's Valley Furniture. For over 65 years, the Tucker family has served San Diego County. Still family-owned, Cash and Carry and Tucker's Valley Furniture. Two stores, both right across the street at Main and Mollison in El Cajon. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. I will cast my cares on you. You're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in control. Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on 1210 AM K-Praise in San Diego every Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. My guest today is Dr. Steve Austin. He's a geologist that's uh, just been all over the world, explored all kinds of things, pretty exciting life. Uh, your wife lets you just uh, take off. <laughs> she Does she worry about you that you're like... No, you she know? goes with me. Oh, she does. Okay. Oh, yeah. She climbed Kilimanjaro with me. Oh, wow. Who got to the top first? Uh, I think she did. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's fantastic. What an exciting life. Now, um, uh, Dr. Austin, we were talking about when we left the last segment that all of this uh, mud and dirt and rocks had to be washed out to form the Grand Canyon. So where is that mud and rock now, uh, today? It's sitting right in the uh, Salton Sea Basin right there, uh, El Centro, California. And you can uh, find the, the, the recently formed upper sediment layers there that are the, uh, the remnants of that uh, delta and that big flood event. Now, do secular geologists look at what you're saying and go, yeah, Steve's right? Uh, or do they have some other theory about this? Um, in the case of the delta of the Colorado River, e- almost everybody realizes the river arrived recently. Okay. Okay. Not, not over tens of millions of years. So the geological Just, evidence is pretty straightforward in that regard. Yeah. And um, th- there is no deeply buried delta. That's the, the, the the key observation. And uh, so that... When you say there's no deeply buried delta, can you ex- explain that a little bit more um, for our listeners? If 10 million years to 50 million years of erosion occurred on the Colorado Plateau, there should be um, a, a a thickness of... Well, there should be a million cubic miles of sediment sitting out there somewhere. Okay. Should be able, and and if, if the land has been eroding at uniform rate over an immense period of time you expect to see that, that that's what you predict you would see okay and if something else is the explanation and you start thinking about what that something else might be then you make predictions so and what is that something else from a, a creationist a biblical creationist perspective i think there were big lakes on the colorado plateau like over uh, in northeastern arizona uh hopi lake a lake in the hopi terrain up uh Near the Holbrook, Hopi, Arizona. Hopi Indians? The Hopi Indians, okay. yeah. There's a lake, ev- evidence of a lake there. There's a lake, another lake, ev- uh, more lake evidence up in uh, Utah uh, and up in the Colorado and uh, in the Vernal Basin and the Canyonlands And how can area. you tell that there was a lake there? It's not a, a lake there anymore, obviously. Right. Uh, it has sediments. Uh, for example, Hopi Lake in Arizona, there's evidence of lake sediment sitting there. And there was a big lake at 6,000 feet elevation. When you say lake sediment, how is lake sediment different than, you know, some other form of sediment? It's silt. It's okay. silt and clay. And you even find uh, fossils of, of, of lake uh, animals, okay, like uh, humpback chub and things and flamingo, you know, wading birds and 
So you look for the fossils. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. And so there was a lake in Arizona at 6,000 feet elevation. Where'd it go? And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it's gone. And then look at that big gash next to it. You know, so it makes, makes, sense. makes sense. Yeah. Huh. That's phenomenal. So what started you on this, this path? I mean, um, were you always interested in geology even as a kid or how did that start? Yeah. Uh, age three, I saw my first geologic map, started collecting rocks. Uh, age uh, four, um, I remember uh, fossils, uh, collecting fossils. And by age seven and eight, I had an immense rock collection. And uh, the, the science teachers at the elementary school where I went uh, were fascinated by all of my minerals and things. Uh, I was discovered by uh, KQED television in San Francisco. And for three years, I was on a science education program. And um, that. How uh, old were you when you were doing that? Uh, eight to 10, 10 years old. <laughs> so great. science education yeah. is kind of my roots. And then uh, I've, uh, uh, I love Boy Scouts because camping. And then uh, that, that took me into Grand Canyon and uh, all over the world. Now, now, did you grow up in a Christian home? No, no. Okay. No. So I understood the claims of Christ uh, that that uh, He uh, wanted to be my Lord and Savior when I was about eighteen years old. Okay. At, at university, and I had been very strongly uh, exposed to evolution theory, but I never really um, believed it was anything remarkable. And uh, it didn't seem to explain much, and it didn't seem to jive with what I was seeing. Okay. And so um, I uh, very naturally became a creationist. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're studying all these rocks when I was a little kid, but at that point in time, this was just something you were really interested in. It had nothing, to, n- nothing related to the biblical flood or anything like that. Right. Okay. So when you, when you accepted Christ as your Savior and all, and you still have this desire to study geology and, and these sorts of things. Uh, what happened as you began to learn about the flood and these sorts of things? How did that affect your thinking? I started asking questions. Uh, yeah, what about the, the Bible, the history of the Bible? Is the history of the Bible reliable? Yeah. And then I uh, started asking questions, and, and then I sought answers. And people, people would come by and talk to me. And uh, one time... Uh, I wrote a letter to Henry Morris, asking him a question, Dr. Henry Morris at Virginia Polytechnic Institute. And he said, uh, yeah, uh, he, he gave me some answers. And then, uh, I said, well, Hey, if you're ever at the university of Washington in Seattle, come on by. And, uh, he came over, uh, one time and talked on campus and we got to be friends and lots of other, uh, people who were involved in the scientists, sciences became my friend. Okay. Wow. That's so neat. And so, um, for you, as you've gone on this journey of, you know, studying all, all over the world, the geology, what are some of the, the instances where you were just, uh, amazed or can you give us some of the things that were kind of like, Oh my goodness, this is incredible. Uh, I would say Mount St. Helens would be the first, uh, kind of wow thing that happened to me after my PhD work. Um, I wrote about some things, how uh, coal formed in a very abstract way in a in a PhD dissertation. What happened was uh, Mount St. Helens exploded and made a lake with logs floating on it. Helped me understand the coal that I was studying. 
So can you expand on that? How did that help you understand the coal? Um, because I, cause right now, from an evolutionary perspective, somebody would say coal takes millions and millions of years to form, lots of pressure. It's got to be you know buried underground and squished and all this stuff. So, and it forms in swamps over a thousand years per inch, that kind of thing. That's the conventional thinking. Yeah. But it's uh, not well supported by science. And um, there, there is no modern swamp where you can see plant life accumulating, grading downward into coal. Mm. Okay. But there are places like at Mount St. Helens where plant material like sheets of tree bark is being buried and could very easily be converted into coal. And, and so, so this is a catastrophe that created an environment in which you can see that coal could potentially form. Yes. Yeah. So I I really uh, think that uh, what, what I saw at Mount St. Helens, rapid canyon formation, rapid sedimentation, uh, and then rapid uh, plant replanting of trees and the making of what appears to be the first step for the formation of coal, that is that is a remarkable, uh, it's a living laboratory for study of how flood could have done uh, amazing things in, yeah. in in earth history. Okay, so that, that really, uh, that was really for you one of the great things to really advance your understanding of geology from a biblical perspective. And I uh, love Grand Canyon, and I just can't seem to not go there. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of places on Earth that are like that, right? <laughs> right. So uh, 25 uh, raft trips through the Grand Canyon. Uh, let's see, I've helicoptered, muled every different way you can go into Grand Canyon. <laughs> I've done it. So you know it from every angle, and, all the different places. And I've places been around it. Well, there's still a lot I haven't explored, but <laughs> it's it has, uh, uh, it has some um, a remarkable fossil layers, mm. and those remarkable fossil layers is what I've studied. And I uh, love talking, you know, fossil squid in Grand Canyon. Take, I love taking people out to see it. And, wow. Uh, they are, uh, but giant uh, mud flows buried animals very rapidly. Okay, my guest today is uh, Dr. Steve Austin, uh, not the wrestler, uh, Steve Austin, but uh, the geologist. And he has got some amazing evidence, uh, amazing experience in exploring the world and studying geology and how it gives evidences uh, for the truth of the biblical record. A worldwide flood with animals buried all over the world catastrophically. It's incredible. Stay with us. We're going to be right back. You're listening to Educate for Life Radio with Kevin Conover. And uh, we're on KPRZ uh, here in San Diego, 12, 10 a.m. We'll be right back. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. Not all home inspections are created equal. Joe DeMars and his team at Housemaster have performed inspections in San Diego for 22 years plus and performed over 10,000 inspections for commercial, multiple family, apartments, and residential. Call before you buy or sell. You'll have confidence knowing the true condition of the property. Call 619-660-7866, sandiego.housemaster.com. Home inspections, done right, guaranteed. 619-660-7866. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619 619- 
Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on 1210 AM K-Praise here in San Diego every Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. My website's educateforlife.org. If you want to get a recording of this uh, this program, you can. Uh, it's on iTunes, and uh, we podcast it. You can go to my website, pick that up. And my guest today is Steve Austin, geologist Steve Austin, Dr. Steve Austin. And he, uh, we were talking about when we left from the last segment, uh, fossilized squid inside the Grand Canyon. So, Dr. Austin, uh, squid, that's kind of strange in the Grand Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> Hardly uh, anybody knew about it uh, until the 1960s when uh, a, a river boatman found uh, a shelf in the Redwall limestone in the cliff in the, 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 the middle of the Grand Canyon. And it lay, it's laid hidden for 150 years from geologists. People floated very close to it. But the squid fossils of Grand Canyon are extraordinary. They're so there's not multiple, ju- multiple squid fossils, and, and they're not in ju- they're in one layer, but they're through the whole canyon. And uh, uh, there are uh, I've drawn pictures of thousands of squid, okay, and made measurements on them. But there must be billions of them because the layer is so extensive. It's it's uh, through the whole length of Grand Canyon out. To Frenchman Mountain, I level with the Stratosphere Hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, it's over 200 miles long, something like that, with fossil squid. Now, how how would an evolutionist try to explain that? Oh, it's uh, it's got to be a, a a regional catastrophe, certainly something like that. So it's got to be some sort of a local flood. Uh, yeah. But how do you get squid? All that squid. I mean, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> where yeah. and, and why? From a creationist perspective, why is it just squid? What, what about the other animals? I think th- th- what we see in the fossil record are incomplete ecosystems. Mm. We, we, we don't see uh, dinosaurs with the things they munched on. We see just dinosaur dead bodies that were floated, separated from the, the trees that they ate largely. Okay. And, we, and we see these the squids separated from uh, – they're, they're with other things. There's – coral and uh, sea lilies and bryozoans and, and ocean creatures with the fossil squid, but they, uh, uh, they're, they're sorted, and it looks like a giant mud flow deposit. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine an ocean uh, bottom with a mud flow come shooting across it at, at uh, 30 miles per hour or something like that, and it swept up the, the fastest-moving predator, you know, a squid, and uh, buried them. Okay. And that's the that's the kind of picture that we have. So the flood essentially separated things out almost in a way uh based on their density and these sorts of things and other other factors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But catastrophic burial and uh regional uh layers uh very extensive and it took minutes, not millions of years to form redwall limestone layers. Yeah. And uh that's been the favorite thinking has been, oh, there's millions of years in the slow accumulation of the lime sediment to make the calcium carbonate uh, deposit that later becomes limestone. And why is that the less plausible option? Why, why is that less plausible? Well, we see we see uh, slowly accumulating sediment today in the, uh, in the Bahama Banks, in the, 
uh, Caribbean, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, as you look at the sediment, it's quite different than the slowly deposited okay. sediment of today. How is it different? Uh, it has coarse and fine textures mixed together. It has squid standing upright, some of them seven feet long, okay? Oh. Uh, they're, 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 they, they are oriented. Uh, they have all kinds of, of event. And so that's typically what you see is fossil deposits that are that are, uh, they don't look like the ocean floor. You I know see, what I mean? Yeah, I see uh, what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. They've been, they've been recycled. It's recycled ocean floor or something. Yeah. Now you were saying, um, that the, the three biggest things that have really, um, been kind of a, a big impact uh, from a geological perspective, the Grand Canyon, Spirit Lake, and then you were saying the Dead Sea and you're actually, you're doing work with the Dead Sea right now. Is that correct? That's right. Now, I've been studying Dead Sea since about the year 2000, so about uh, 16 years of work now on, on Dead Sea and, and uh, Israel. And I'm working on the historical um, the historical synchronization of the geologic record in the lake with the, the earthquakes in the Bible, in the, uh, in the history of the Bible. So what, what earthquakes are those? Well, um, you can well, you, you can say that uh, all the earthquakes of the Bible, starting from creation, the flood, through Sodom, Gomorrah, okay, then into the giving of the law at the Mount Sinai, earthquakes, uh, rebellion of Korah, uh, and, and the book, uh, and then uh, then um, Elijah on uh, Sinai. Remember the cave mm-hmm. in, uh, in in the Book of Kings. And then uh, you've got uh, this big earthquake, 750 B.C., uh, during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And Uzziah's, we call it Uzziah's earthquake. It, you, you see that in uh, Zechariah chapter 14. But we, I call it Amos's earthquake in honor of the prophet Amos who predicted it. And, uh, of course, Amos the, is dated two years before the earthquake. So his speech at the Temple of the Golden Calf is related to the the earthquake disaster that followed. At least that's what everybody thought, and that's why they uh, accepted him as a writing prophet. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, there's lots of other earthquakes. 31 B.C. is an earthquake in Herod's day that's not described succinctly in the Bible, but it's, it's uh, referenced very frequently, the earthquakes and famines and pestilences that are the sign of the the coming of the Messiah. That's p- background to the New Testament. And of course, Jesus comes and uh, he dies on the cross and what? There's a, a giant earthquake. Yeah. And then there's an earthquake at the, a smaller earthquake at the tomb. Now, so, so you're saying that studying the sediment in the, the Dead Sea, you can actually see uh, sediment that indicates there was an earthquake. Yes. Okay, the upper 20 feet of the bottom of the Dead Sea, the upper 20 feet of sediment, mm-hmm. is a la- laminated or sl- thinly layered deposit. And there's no animals that live in the saline water of the Dead Sea, so they don't burrow and homogenize the they layers. They don't mess up the, the sediment. It's they all very clear. Very clear uh, fantastically laminated, but anytime, what does that mean? Laminated um, parallel layers that are millimeters thick. 
Now, I have, the, a, I have a question. This is kind of a little bit off this subject, but I want to stay with this. But I have, I have a quick question. Regarding geology, is the layer, the, the thickness of the layer, um, an indication of how much water is involved in laying down that layer? Because uh, no. I know we have coal seams that are miles thick. And I'm just thinking in my mind, does it take a whole lot of water to lay thick layers? Is that is there a correspondence there or is that not the case? Uh, it's not the case generally. Okay. Uh, but it, it takes fast-moving water generally to make laminae even. Okay. And a lot of people think that, that sediment falls slowly vertically onto the sediment uh, bottom of the uh, of of the ocean, and uh, but it more likely follows not vertically, but but at an angle, very rapidly is uh, it's deposited. Okay, and and fine particles clump together to make uh, big particles that fall out fast. So even finest clay deposits can be deposited rapidly. My guest today is Dr. Steve Austin. We're going to pick up uh, with the Dead Sea and how you can tell that earthquakes have taken place, the biblical earthquakes, based on a study of the layers in the Dead Sea. Uh, Stay with us. We're going to be right back. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 730 to 530, and Saturdays, 730 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Do you have one-button espresso machines in your home or business? They make delicious coffee drinks, but they're not maintenance-free. Express Fix Coffee is San Diego's source for coffee and espresso machine repair, sales, and service. Call Dave Martin at Express Fix Coffee for new and used espresso machines, repairs, parts, and accessories. They'll save you time and money. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. Learn more at expressfixcoffee.com. There's got to be more than going back and forth from doing right to doing wrong. Cause we were taught that's who we are. Welcome back to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on 1210 AM Praise here in San Diego. My guest today is Dr. Steve Austin. His website is creationadventures.com. If you want to connect with him, um, get a, a incredibly ed- educational experience while at the same time experiencing the Grand Canyon. You can go on a trip with him uh, down to the Grand Canyon. He also is a part of logosresearchassociates.org. I want to um, just recommend this website because what they do is they mentor other scientists in approaching their science from a biblical worldview. Is that correct, Dr. That's Austin? Right. Can you expand a little bit on that, uh, Logos Research Associates? Uh we're an affiliation of scientists that have a high review, a high regard for the integrity of Scripture, and a high regard for science. And so we work together to to um, mentor other people and um, disciple them. And that's much needed because I've talked to a variety of scientists who say I just don't have the tools or the knowledge to be able to properly articulate, uh, you know, the biblical worldview and what I know to be true. Yes, and sometimes we're overwhelmed by the just the gigantic nature of science today, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, uh, we're we're an organization to help scientists 
do science. That's awesome. Do you do you see more scientists um, getting involved in you know looking at the perspective of a biblical uh, historical record? And then there's uh, lots of people that are trying to affiliate with us. So yeah, yeah, uh, and and they're out there, and they're out in major universities, and they're power places, and even gatekeepers. There are people that that are, are you know involved with. Uh, uh, very important aspects of media and culture as they relate to science who are asking serious questions about what's uh, what's going on with uh, the yeah and is there an agenda driven science here yeah because it seems like that for sure there's all kinds of dogmatism in secular science it's yeah. almost become a, its own religion in a way that's sad isn't it it uh, is it's depressing it's but uh hopefully we can counteract that but i wanted to pick up back at the dead sea and the earthquakes there so when you look at the Dead Sea and you look at the layers in the Dead Sea, how do you tell, okay, here was an earthquake and, and here there wasn't? Okay, the upper um, inch or so of the bottom of the lake, the sediment, just in contact with the water, during an earthquake, it's stirred up and it creates a mixed layer or a d- deformed layer that is not layered like the precise lamination of the so it's the not lake it's normal. less flat is what you're saying it, it 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 takes the the very thin very uh strongly um laminated deposit and it and it stirs it up and makes a homogenized layer uh mixes and it's like two layers together mixes layers together okay and they're, they're typically uh a half an inch thick or more and depending on the strength of the earthquake so the earthquake leaves a, um, a, a trace of the acceleration or the earthquake wave going through the sediment. And so the bottom of the Dead Sea is essentially a seismograph. Wow. Okay, it is a seismograph that's recording big earthquakes. And is that pretty reliable? Is that pretty... It, it's, it's been established now and uh, by uh, sedimentologists who are studying the lakes but the dead sea is in the forefront of understanding this process cuz it's the uh, the quintessential lake for studying because sediment. nothing lives there nothing lives there and it and it's uh, so so beautifully preserved wow now now do people scuba dive in there or how does that work? well i i study just around the lake where okay. the lake has been drawn down the gullying has exposed the 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 sediment of the last uh, 4,000 years. Mm-hmm. The upper 20 feet of sediment is the last 4,000 years, and in there we can study the, the sequence of earthquakes. And uh, the the earthquake of 750 BC, that's Amos's earthquake, is very uh, strongly preserved there. There's an earthquake of 31 BC, that's Herod's earthquake, that set the, the, uh, the, um, the cultural expectations uh, during Jesus's time of the coming of the Messiah. This is a big earthquake. Uh, 31 BC was the largest earthquake in the last 2,700 years, a magnitude 7.2 earthquake or something like that. So right you there can, along the You can tell the, the magnitude fault. of the earthquake and everything. Estimate it. You can. You can estimate it by looking at different sites. And, um, yeah, so uh, there's a uh, – in places, it's a meter in thickness, uh, stirred up sediment, and that was a big earthquake there. Now, now, when you um, you said this is the past four thousand years, 
How yes. do you come to that conclusion that that, rep, that those layers represent the past 4,000 years? Because of the archaeological record onshore, I can see where the onshore uh, archaeological uh, evidence interfingers with the sediment of the lake. So, so give me an example. Like what kind of archaeological evidence? Uh, like uh, Qumran. At Qumran, we have the, the Dead Sea Scrolls are buried at this village. Mm-hmm. We have the faulted staircase into the ritual pool and you can see offset of a foot and that of course was the earthquake of 31 bc that kind of shut down qumran and maybe that's what caused the dead sea scrolls to be buried they they wanted to go elsewhere after that one yeah and uh, that was a big earthquake right there at qumran so but it interacted with the sediment and it 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 makes a, a one-to-one correlation between the archaeology onshore and the offshore sediment layer. And what about the earthquakes that you mentioned regarding Sodom and Gomorrah and so forth? There's and, one and down Jer- there. Jericho, you said. Yep, there's Jericho earthquake. Uh, there's perhaps one about the time of Jericho. And is that the f- walls of Jericho falling? Uh, that's a good question to ask. There's one down about the time of Abraham. It's a pretty good one, big one. Could that be the earthquake from Sodom and Gomorrah? The earthquake record might be in the lake sediment. I would think I'd expect for something so big like that. And then uh, the the earthquake at the cross, believe it or not, appears to be there. A significant earthquake, about a magnitude five, five point five earthquake, something like that, uh, easily uh, preserved in the in the sediment and quite widespread in the lake sediment layer. Uh, just. Uh, Matter of inches above the 31 BC earthquake, the big, really big one. Well, that, now that's what I was going to ask you: is how so? How uh, far around the lake does that sediment? That, that can you see that that sediment uh, trail? All around the the lake, it's like the bathtub ring all around the lake. Because okay. the lake is low now, we see the sediment that's accumulated in the last 4,000 years up on the high terrain, uh, almost 150 feet in places above the present level of the lake. And the ravines and gullies cut down through it, so we can see the sediment record mm-hmm. in the last four thousand years, right by looking at the gullies around the lake. Okay, wow, that's incredible. Uh, I yeah, that's very interesting stuff. And now you were talking about how um, you're also looking into the earthquakes of the future that the Bible predicts. Yes, and so that's important too, because what we see is if the history of the Bible is accurate, which it is and all the evidence indicates that it is, then that means what the Bible is telling us about the future, we probably should sit up and pay attention. Yes. Um. <laughs> well, I want to get into this as we, we get into the next segment here. We're, we're running out of time on this one. We have one more segment left, and I want to talk more about this and, and about the earthquakes that you see predicted in the Bible and uh, how we can get ready for that. <laughs> My guest tonight is Steve Austin, and uh, he's been giving us all, all kinds of amazing information. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you'd like to get a recording of it, you can off my website, educateforlife.org. And uh, we're going to be right back. And stay with us and uh, enjoy the last part of this uh, interview with Dr. Steve Austin, uh, a geologist, uh, been all over the world. We'll be right back. Hi. 
Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. In 1947, Gordon Tucker began serving San Diego County families. Today, the family tradition continues with two stores, Tucker's Valley Furniture and Cash and Carry, both right across the street in El Cajon at Maine and Mollison. Whether you want today's modern, eco-friendly furniture or authentic Amish furniture from solid cherry wood built in America, let the Tucker family serve your family. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. A proud sponsor of Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. I will cast my cares on you. You're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in control. Welcome back to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. And uh, my guest today is Dr. Steve Austin. We've been having a very interesting discussion about geology and earthquakes and the Grand Canyon. And uh, I find it all very fascinating. And um, Dr. Austin, we were talking about how you've been studying earthquakes at the Dead Sea and how uh, you can actually see in the in the layers, uh, you can tell when an earthquake has occurred. And what about uh, earthquakes in the present time? And then the Bible does talk about earthquakes in the future. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Earthquakes of the 20th century have been cataloged, and we have seismograms since about 1890. Since 1890, we have good quality seismograms of the Earth and a continuous record. And it appears that there's been a slight decrease in the frequency and intensity of large earthquakes through the 20th century. And so we live in a time of declining earthquake power, slight decline, not an increase. And so uh, it's consistent with Jesus' statement that uh, there'll be earthquakes and famines and pestilences in diverse places. But these are the beginning of birth pangs. And then they're the signs that precede the real signs, or the non-signs that precede the real signs. And then, of course, the biblical record contains references to future earthquakes. Now, when you say that they are the non-signs, or they're the ones that in which Jesus is saying, hey, don't be afraid, these are going to happen, but there's going to be other greater things that are going to happen. What are those greater things? Um, well, uh, the, the, uh, the, the big the next big ones, and there's probably several that are going to occur. Ezekiel chapter uh, 38 and 39, Gog and Magog, the judgment, you might be familiar with that. There's a, there's a big earthquake involved with the conversion of the nation of Israel. And uh, exactly how that fits in the, the biblical time scale is somewhat controversial among theologians, but I think it's a real event. It's an earthquake event. Is that is that precede uh, the conversion of Israel, or is I that? I think it. Yeah, it is. It happens, and Israel is converted. Mm. That that experience because it's so dramatic. It's a it's a dramatic effect. Yeah. And then uh, there's five earthquakes mentioned in the Book of Revelation, and the last earthquake is Armageddon earthquake, the big the big one, and every island will flee out of its place, and uh, and then you re- might remember. Uh, 
Zechariah chapter 14, the Messiah will come back to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will be cleaved. Yeah. And uh, you will flee as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Uh, that big earthquake was huge, uh, the biggest earthquake in 4,000 years of history. This is even going to be a bigger one. Wow. And uh, so Mas- I call it Messiah's earthquake when Jesus comes back. Okay. Yeah, now they've been talking about here in California, you know, they're always talking about there's an active volcano under Yosemite or whatever, and that at some point it's going to explode and... California is going to fall into the sea. Do you do you foresee that happening? Uh, Yellowstone could become active again, and there's some really big volcanic explosions at, at Yellowstone. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there could be some really big uh, um, earthquakes in on the San Andreas Fault and up uh, offshore Washington State. Some really big earthquakes, but I don't think um, the uh, uh, they're going to be like these earthquakes that were uh, that are predicted in the future. Okay. And uh, California can expect big earthquakes. I think magnitude seven earthquakes is, is, is will be what we'll experience, and uh, that's what these faults are capable of along here. A magnitude eight earthquakes up out, off of uh, uh, of Oregon, Washington. But what whatever what about uh, San Diego mag- specifically? Uh, we have a fault right here in San Diego uh, called the Rose Canyon Fault, uh-huh. and uh, that could be a magnitude six earthquake. Oh no! So we're we we're, we're uh, no, there's no place in California to get relief, but we we have earthquake in the future that'll be on the order uh, an order of magnitude high bigger than those kind of things. We can just because of the way things are described. In, in, the, in Bible. the Bible, the Judean mountains are going to be made low. Uh, the Mount of Olives is going to be cleaved. Uh, the Dead Sea is going to become fresh water or uh, saline water, like like the ocean. Uh, animals are going to repopulate. the The topography of the future in Israel is described in a different way yeah. than it is today. Earthquakes are going to be involved with making that happen. So you know, you're you're scaring a lot of people out there right now who are like you know. Uh, the kind of people that are preparing for Armageddon and the end of the world and everything. What what uh what hope would you offer them? Well, um, in the book of Hebrews, there's a discussion of the earthquake that was give at the giving of the law, and then of course, uh, the author of Hebrews says when Jesus comes back again, there'll be a big earthquake, and it's a cosmic shakedown. Yeah, it's not only just the earth, but it's the heavens and the earth, and this cosmic shakedown ultimately leads to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You can read about it in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Yeah. And uh, that's the hope or the promise that we have. If if we're living with Christ and we have a relationship with Christ, we'll inherit a kingdom which cannot be shaken. In other words, earthquakes are going to be a thing of the past. Yeah. And the, the, the process we call tectonics, that's the uh, the earthquake process is going to be kind of passe, and so uh, I, uh, I'll be out of business uh, <laughs> uh, studying. Uh, um, You'll be new bored. What, what so will you do? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure God will have something else for you to study. Uh, well, yeah. So you know, for everybody listening out there, you know, there there's so much in life that's hard and difficult, and uh, you know, aside from earthquakes and, and everything, and uh, I think both Steve and myself uh, have given our lives to Christ, 
and we know that he's the only thing that we can actually count on in this life. And we live in a time where, I mean, the the amount of stuff going on in the world, uh, if you're keeping your eyes on the world, it can get very uh, discouraging and depressing when you look at what's happening in politics and you look at the wars that are happening around the world and uh, you look at what's happening with China and Russia and, and uh, what seems to be all kinds of conflicts arising between nations. And ultimately, uh, your hope is in Christ. Uh, everything else the Bible talks about it is wearing out and breaking down, and uh, even our, our physical bodies. Uh, and so um, I just encourage you, if you're listening and you don't know Christ, uh, Christ loves you. Turn your, turn your life over to him. Uh, you will not be let down. You will not be disappointed. Uh, he's the hope of eternal life. So, um, Steve, uh, you know, I, I love what you're doing, and you're, I'm so glad you're on our side and, and yeah. teaching uh, biblical truth. Um, Logos Research Associates, is that it? That's what it is? Yes. And, uh, Logos Research Associates. If you're listening and you're a scientist out there and you want to be equipped to be able to communicate science from a biblical perspective, right? Uh, what is it? What is it? We're each entitled to our own opinion, but we're not entitled to our own facts. Is that right? Right. So we deal with facts, and we uh, we interpret facts into and, and understand facts within the framework, of the historic framework of Scripture, and uh, we we live for Christ, and we disciple other scientists. Logos Research Associates uh, now, do you has have a vision a, for that type you, of science. Do you have a particular have to have a particular degree in order to be a part of that? Uh, to to be a, a full uh, research associate, you need to have a PhD. Okay. And we have lots of PhDs that have joined uh, our organization. And, uh, but we mentor other scientists as well. And uh, there are communicators that come along with us that help us communicate with other, um, uh, with other people what we're doing. That's so great. They, we, we, we have educators yeah. that, are, that are with us. Fantastic. So Dr. Steve Austin, his website uh, is creationadventures.com. Uh, you can check that out. Go on a, a trip with him down the Grand Canyon. And uh, Logos Research Associates also. My website is educateforlife.org. We'll be back on next Saturday, 2 to 3 p.m. I hope you'll join us. Uh, and uh, love your feedback. Please uh, get in touch with me. Love to hear from you. God bless you. Have a fantastic Saturday. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Learn more about Kevin and his work online at his website, educateforlife.com. That's educateforlife.com. You'll find great resources, ideas, and even video classes there to help you grow and understand what in the world is happening. Encourage your friends to listen for great guests and intelligent analysis of the stories that shape our lives. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Bring your tired and bring your shame Bring your guilt and bring your pain Don't you know that's not your name You will always be much more to me And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right But that's alright 